If you will, guys, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Um, this, was a, uh, this was a sermon that, um, actually it's a sermon series that I actually started working on back at the beginning of the year. Um, something that really God stirred in my heart. And I'll be honest with you, we were going to do it right after Easter. And then some things got shifted around in me and God led me down another path. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Tommy was singing a song and this, this series come back to my mind. And a couple of things started playing in my mind about, you know, how religion applies to all of our lives. And how sometimes religion, while it can be a good thing, if we're not cautious, religious beliefs and religious values can also be a very, very bad thing. Last year, yesterday, celebrated 20 years, or not celebrated, but remember 20 years ago. Still remember exactly where I was 20 years ago. I don't think any of us would be able to take that away from any of our thoughts. I was in Grayson, Georgia. We were fixing to do, um, start a brand new subdivision, putting in underground power and putting in fiber optic and all these things. And man, I never will forget getting in the truck because I need to move it up the road, getting in the truck and hearing those words. A plane has flown into the World Trade Center. All day, stayed at work, but still couldn't help but every few minutes going back to the radio to find out what was going on. When I got home that night, I can remember just watching it over and over and over again. Most of us who were around then can tell us exactly where you were. You can tell us exactly how you felt. And for many, the reason's unclear. We all have those questions. Why did this happen? But when it comes down to it, why this happened can be summed up with very simple reasoning. These people, these 19 hijackers, had a religious belief, a religious belief that what they were doing was doing a favor to their God. A lot of people say, well, God, Allah, isn't it the same? No, it is not, guys. No, it is not. And at the same time, there's been a lot of confusion over the last 20 years as well. Let me just go ahead and tell you something. Not all Muslims want to kill us. And I know this is something that a lot of people have a hard time dealing with. But not all Muslims have this belief of jihad the way that these 19 individuals did. Matter of fact, if you were to look into this, you would find out that this comes from a distortion of their own writings to where somebody has added a religious belief to this that is what caused these 19 individuals to hold to this fact that if they did this, if they did God this favor, they would enter into a paradise and be lavished with riches beyond anything they could ever imagine. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand why anybody would come to this belief, isn't it? But in our history, in our history as Christians, we've had 
some very similar things happen. Many of us remember Jim Jones or heard of Jim Jones, who in the name of God led thousands of people down to South America and committed a mass suicide in the name of God. We remember David Koresh when he had him and those people had all their, all their children in that compound. And again, why were they there? They were there in the name of God. Many of us remember not too long ago, it even happened in our own backyard. Eric Robert Rudolph. Any of y'all remember the letters that he wrote to the FBI? Who did he sign his name as? He didn't sign Eric Robert Rudolph. He signed the Army of God. Even in our own beliefs, people have taken it and twisted it to make it something that it's not. So while it's hard for us to really grasp and grip what was going through these 19 individuals, we got to understand something. We've got people just like that in our group too. Jesus told us that there would be many wolves in sheep's clothing. And that if we were not careful, if we were not careful, that they would even be able to fool the very elect of God. So why is it? Why is it that these things happen in our own religious beliefs? You know, in America, we've got, we've got some crazy thoughts. There's almost like an unwritten code. If you live a good life, if you don't do anything bad, if you go to church, what would most people call you? They call you a what? A Christian. A Christian. They will call you a Christian if you live a good life. They will call you a Christian if you don't do anything bad. They will call you a Christian if you go to church. And in, 19, in 2019, a guy by the name of Dean and Sarah wrote a book. And I remember reading it when it first came out. And it's a book that will bring a lot of conflict to you. But the reason it brings conflict to you is because of the scripture that he uses in this book. This book is dealing with exactly what we're talking about right now. Cultural Christianity or cultural religion. And now we've even got a new term. Christian nationalist. And we've got to be cautious with these. Because these terms hold values that we hold dear. But the problem with all these is they are completely absent of the gospel. They are completely absent of the gospel. The book that Dean wrote has a pretty controversial title. It's called The Unsaved Christian. Let's think about that for a minute. Unsaved Christian. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? It's kind of an oxymoron. How can there be such a thing as an unsaved Christian? But honestly, in our time, in our life, we have people who can speak this Christianese language that we have. Because we do. We have our own unique language. The word saved is unique to us. 
Sanctification is another word that's used to us. And we use all these big words. And believe it or not, there are some people who use these words but have no idea what they're meaning. And they talk so good, they walk so good, that most of us would say they're a Christian. But that's religion. That's what religion is. Religion is holding to a set of values that will get you in right favor with God. I loved how Al used the scripture last week from 1 Corinthians where he talked about how our works are as filthy rags. And he said something that may have thrown some of y'all off. The rags that it's talking about there, and it's true. It is menstrual rags. Our works are that good. That's how good our works are. They're filthy. They're nasty. They're despised. They're disgusted. That's how good our works look to God. So when you look at it that way, could there be an unsaved Christian? Could there be somebody in our midst today who can walk the walk, talk the talk, look like he is a Christian, act like he's a Christian, even say all the things that would fool us to believe that he's a Christian, but not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So what does the Bible say about this? Does the Bible ever give us any indication that this could be true? Is it biblical? Well, let's see. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. We're only going to focus on that because we're just getting through this part today, guys. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then, and then, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Pray with me. Father, over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on some of the words that, that your son said while he is here on this earth. And some of these words are not always easy for us to, um, to comprehend or understand. Some of these words bring conflict to our souls and to our lives, and rightfully so. And Lord, I know that this scripture today is probably bringing conflict to a lot of people's lives. It's causing them to wrestle. It's causing them to search themselves. But this morning, Lord, I know that's what this scripture is meant for us to do with. It's meant for us to search ourselves. But it's also meant for us to open the door to allow you to search us, God. To see if there is any evil way in us. Father, this morning... I pray that we would open our hearts up to your word. That we would open our eyes to what it is that you have for us. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we hear straight from this word what it is that you have for us. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's preference this a little bit. This scripture comes right at the end of Jesus' first recorded sermon that we know of. The sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. A while back I went through the whole sermon and I did not spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to be honest with you why I didn't spend a lot of time on this. Because when I read this verse, I'm going to be honest with you. And I want you to be honest as well. There are times I have a little conflict with this verse. Because there are times in my life that I even look at this verse and I say, Man, people who prophesy are not going to know Christ. Let me put that in today's terms. There are people in pulpits right now who do not know Christ as Savior. He goes on to say, cast out demons in his name. Man, that is people who have helped other individuals. Let's put it in modern day term. Conquer demons of addiction, addictions of pornography, addictions to drugs. These are individuals who have helped these people do this if they don't know Christ. They perform many miracles. Many miracles. Miraculous miracles. But they didn't know God. Is this possible? Is it possible? Well, let's look back at a couple of things. Let's look at back at a couple of things just from these three statements. First, it says, they prophesy in your name. There was a time when Saul, and I'm not talking about Paul, I'm talking about Saul, who was king. There was a time that Saul was selected to be God's anointed king for the nation of Israel. But during his life, Paul, or Saul, sorry, didn't mean to do that. I knew I was going to do that. Damn. Paul, Saul! <laughs> this boy, <laughs> this king boy, Somehow got his life off track. Pride, a lot of things, a lot of other things dealt with this and brought about this pride in his life to where it even says that God pulled his spirit from Saul. Set it right. Yet right after God pulled his spirit from Saul, an amazing thing happens. Saul stands up before the congregation and prophesies that there is only one God. How did he do that? Well, what about the casting out of demons? This is one that Baptists really don't like to deal with. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. There is a demonic world. There is a demonic world that is at battle with us every day. It wants you it wants your children. It wants your spouse. It wants your family. It is working to do Satan's power and Satan's, uh, Satan's works. So don't, underwrite, don't miswrite this. Don't think that this is something that's so little. No, there is a demonic world. But these individuals cast out demons is what they're going to say to Jesus. Have we ever seen anything like this in the Bible? In Acts, we run across some boys. Um, they call them the sons of Sceva. Y'all know this one? 
the sons of Sceva had a gift. What was that gift? They could do this very same thing. They could exercise demons. They could help cast out demons. The only problem is they weren't doing it in his name. One day, they come across a demon who's bigger and badder than any other demon. The boys look at him and say, in the name of Jesus, we exercise this demon. Well, the demon comes out and says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? These boys went into this exorcism completely clothed. This demon beat them so bad that they left naked. You want to know how you, lose, you, want to know, how you know if you've lost a fight? If you go to a fight clothed and you leave naked, you lost. So did this happen? Absolutely. What about the many miracles? How many of y'all seen the, the Ten Commandment movie? The old one, Charleston Heston. You know my favorite part of the movie was when Aaron and Moses went before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh challenges him. He says, give me a sign. Show me that your God is powerful. So Moses hands Aaron his staff. Aaron throws the staff on the ground. What did the staff turn into? A snake. Pharaoh sermons two of his high priests. They come forward with staffs as well. They throw their staffs on the ground. What did their staffs become? Serpents as well. How does all this work? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know. But what Jesus is dealing with is he is dealing with some things that is talked about in his word. He's dealing with some amazing things that people do that in some way could be accredited to Jesus. It could be accredited to the ministry. It could be even be accredited to God. But as I was doing this, as I was looking at this, some things come to my mind. And one of the things that came to my mind was this. If Jesus were to write this today, in an American time, what do you think some of the excuses would be? What do you think some of the excuses would be? You think it would be, Jesus, didn't we say grace before dinner? Jesus, didn't we vote our values? Jesus, didn't we believe prayer should be in school? Jesus, didn't we go to church? Jesus, didn't we believe in God? Jesus, didn't we seek justice and equality? Jesus, didn't we get misty-eyed when we heard God bless America? Jesus, didn't we give our money? Jesus, didn't I respect women, get baptized, stay married? Jesus, did I not want America to return to its Christian roots? Jesus, did we not fight oppression? Do you think those would be some of the excuses Jesus might hear today? This is where this cultural Christianity thing has got out of hand. 
because we put certain things, certain images of what we think an ideal Christian should look like, don't we? I mean, every one of us. We've got an image in our mind of what we think an ideal Christian should look like, don't we? You know what's funny? If we're honest, that ideal Christian, that image of that ideal Christian is probably the image that we see in the morning every, every morning in the mirror. Because deep down inside, let's just be honest, we want everybody to be like who? Us. We want everybody to be like us. And here's where this danger comes in, guys. This is exactly what the Pharisees did all of their life. The image they had of the godly man was the image that they saw in the morning. The image that they seen when they looked in the mirror. The image that they seen when they looked in the water. That was the image that they had for what a godly person should look like. And you know our problem? Our problem is we're even afraid to admit that we could be wrong. Let's go back to vacation Bible school. How many of you remember the ABCs of salvation? Anybody remember them? What's A? Admit. Admit what? Admit you're a what? Admit you're a sinner. Do you know what you do when you admit you're a sinner? You admit you're wrong. That's exactly what you do. When you admit you're a sinner, you're saying, everything that I've done before this point is wrong. And the thing about being a sinner is, guys, yes, we're saved by grace. But at the same time, there is a continuation of us having the possibility of being wrong throughout all of our lives. We have to continually admit that we're wrong. I was right one time in my life, and then my wife told me I was wrong. <laughs> True. And she was right. Then she found out she was wrong. But brothers and sisters, we have an image of what we think Jesus should look like. And the problem is, we think that image looks more like us. But when I read the Word of God, you know what I see? I see nothing like Scotty Gerard when I see and read about Jesus. I see somebody greater. I see somebody better. I see somebody more compassionate, more loving, more understanding than I can ever be in my life. Matter of fact, when I read about Jesus, I'm just being honest with you. This is part of the thing that brings conflict to me. I don't like reading the Bible sometimes because it shows me everything that is wrong with me. And I am constantly having to fall before him and say, God, I've messed up. I'm continually having to confess sins to him. Just because I'm saved does not mean I stop sinning. And I continually have to admit every day I am wrong. That's why the scripture says, he who confesses his sin to God, God is faithful to forgive. We need to remember this. Because this A 
Admitting is something that we need to do every day. What was B? Anybody remember B? Believe. Believe in what? Y'all can talk. It's okay. I allow it. What's B? Believe in what? Jesus Christ. What about Jesus Christ? That he died for us. You ever realize that nowhere in the scripture it says, yeah, there's other parts where it says repent and believe. Well, admitting is repenting. There's portions that say repent and be baptized. But I'm just going to be real with you here for a minute, okay? But do you realize that there's nowhere in there it says that to be saved, you have to believe and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this and you have to do that what does it say we have to do believe believe in what believe first we're wrong secondly we need salvation and we need salvation from something that we can't do ourselves we need forgiveness forgiveness from who forgiveness from God the one that we sinned against so, if we admit that we're wrong and we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and nothing else, Ephesians talks about this wholeheartedly, guys, that this is by grace alone that we are saved because of the faith we have in Jesus Christ and not of our own works, least anybody should boast. But first we admit, then we believe then what's the next one? Confess. Confess what? He is our what? This is where we get hung up. He is our Lord. What does that mean for him to be our Lord? Who said that? Madden's over here raising her hand. Good job, girl. Ruler of our life. Ruler of our life. Is he really the ruler of our life? Let's just, let's just back up for a second. Is he really the ruler of our life? When we want him to. The rest of the time, we got it. The rest of the time, we're good. The rest of the time, Jesus, I'll take care of this. I'm going to be honest with you. When I wrote this list down right here, this list of saying grace before dinner, this list of voting our values, I'm going to be honest with you, two things happened. First thing that happened when I wrote this list down is I started counting people. I know people who read their Bibles or who bring their Bible or who own a Bible but never take it out of the pew. Just being honest. I know people who give money but will never give of their time. I know people who do this and do that, but I think they should do this and that. What am I doing? I'm playing God. I'm putting standards on them that Jesus Christ never put on them. The second thing that happened, I got angry. 
You want to know why I got angry? Back to that me thing. I have been at a ball game. Heard God bless America. And I almost cried. I have, all of my life, all of my voting life, voted my values. I have tried to fight for fight, fight oppression. I've had, I have, guys. I have tried to do my best to get prayer back in school. But none of that. None of that enters, gives me a right to enter into God's presence. None of it does. It's not by my actions that I'm saved. It's not by what I do that I'm saved. It's by what he did that we're saved. In Matthew 19, 16 and 22, we find another situation. A person, a young rich ruler, comes before Jesus, and Jesus says, and the rich young ruler says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say to him? First, he says, don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. What's the ruler's response? I've done all these things all my life. Then Jesus throws something at him that's very hard for him. Give up everything you own. Give up everything you own. And the rich young ruler looks at Jesus, throws his head to the ground, and walks away. If Jesus were to ask you to give up everything you own, what would your reply be to him? Would it be any different? Over the last couple of years, guys, I've seen this creeping in even more and more. And it's creeping into the point that it really grieves me at night. It's breaking me to the point because I see all of this cultural Christianity, national, Christian nationalists. I see all of this infiltrating the church because it says, if you do this, you're a Christian. It says, if you do this, you're a Christian. The social justice thing. Again, it says, if you do this for the poor, you're a Christian. But none of it says anything about the gospel. The gospel tells us the only way to come to Jesus is through him. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But all these things are starting to infiltrate in. And you know what it's doing? It's dividing churches just like that aisle divides these pews. We look at people and we think because of the things they do, there's no way they can be a Christian. Last week, I got the opportunity to go up and redo Chris and Jamie's vows. Awesome time, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. Great time seeing them. Great time spending time with them. As we're on our way back, we stopped at um, Texas Roadhouse, right? You know why we stopped at Texas Roadhouse? When you walk into Texas Roadhouse, they've got that display of the steaks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
You ever notice none of those steaks disappear? You ever notice if you touch that glass, it's warm as can be, there ain't no way those steaks are real. They're just doing that to draw you in there. Well, we get in there, and this gentleman by the name of Dees is our waiter, D-E-Z. He is our waiter. And something when I met Dees just did not, something didn't settle right here with me. And Jennifer could even tell it because she kept asking me all through dinner, what's wrong? I kept saying, nothing, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. But I had this little voice inside of me telling me, talk to these, talk to these, talk to these. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to eat my steak and mashed potatoes. I didn't want to talk to these. The longer it went on, he kept coming back. The louder that voice got inside of me. Talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. Finally, we get done. Jennifer goes and takes the boys to the bathroom. He comes, hands me the bill. And I didn't know what I was going to say. I went to hand him the credit card. I said, these, how can I pray for you? It's the only thing that come out. It's the only thing that could come out. These, how can I pray for you? He looks at me, his eyes got real big. He said, I felt like I needed to ask you the same thing. I said, well, I'm a pastor, so there's lots of ways you can pray for me, brother. He said, well, I just come to know Christ not too long ago. And he said, all my life, I've struggled as a homosexual. He said, me and my partner, he said, we don't call ourselves husbands no more. We adopted a child. And he said, he come to know Christ too. And he said, right now, we're wrestling with how we deal with this. You want to know what's bad? When he told me he's a homosexual, you know what the first thing happened with me? A red flag went up. There's no way. There's no way he can be a Christian. And then he shares with me how him and his former partner, whatever you want to call it, are trying to figure out how to deal with this adoption that both of them have been a part of, how they're both trying to live their life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. You know what Jesus did? (laughs) Shot that red flag down. And I know some of you are saying, Scotty, you know, you got some stories that happen that I never have happened. Well, let me share something with you. If you never step foot through the door, you'll never enter the room. Everybody says, well, I'm waiting for Jesus to open a door. The door is open, people. They are ready to talk. They are ready to listen. They are ready to hear. The door is wide open. 
Jesus opened it 2,000 years ago. All you got to do is walk in. But you know what bothers me this morning? Is there's people who would stand behind this pulpit who if they would have asked these the same question and he would have told them the response, they would have shut him down like that. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't shut him down. I grabbed his hand. I prayed with him. I prayed with him. By all standards of some of the things that we believe, some of the religions that we put in place, or religious theories that we put in place, we would have never allowed these to be a part of what we're doing here. With that in mind, I want to read this to you again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The lawlessness that these individuals do is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. That's the lawlessness. They say they're doing these things in the name of the Lord but the love of God is not in them. They're saying they're doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ doesn't even know them. So what should that do for us? I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. Understand that. But every one of us should be going back to those ABCs and be willing to admit if there is any wrongful way in us. We need to be willing to admit, not only to each other, but also to God, that I was wrong. God, I thought this is what a Christian should look like, but I was wrong. And you know what we need to do again? We need to believe again that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. For so many years, guys, I've seen this divide to where I feel like I'm having to pick sides. And here in the next couple of months, we're going to have an evangelism training called Evangelism Explosion. And in the old Evangelism Explosion um, guidelines or uh, curriculum, it never shows Jesus picking sides. You know what it shows Jesus as? It shows one cliff over here, and it shows one cliff over here. This cliff is us. This cliff is heaven. And in the middle of them, just like the Word of God says, there is a great chasm. What's that chasm? A chasm's our sin. 
And then through a cute little acrostic, you draw a cross in the middle of that chasm. Jesus Christ didn't pick sides. He bridged the gap for us to get from God, from him, us to God. If Jesus were to pick sides, we'd still be on this side of the gap. Jesus didn't pick sides. He was a gap. He filled the gap. And that's what we need to believe. He filled the gap for us to get to God. And then we need to confess him as our Lord. This is something we need to do every day. You want to know why? Because if we're not careful, we're going to do the same thing that the Pharisees did. We're going to fall into that same trap. This is what a Christian looks like. And if you don't look like this, you don't make the cut. Aren't you glad Jesus allowed you to make the cut? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted inside of me, Lord. I'm conflicted inside of me because there's a lot of things that I see that that are not a part of you. But all of us have these things, Lord. All of us have these things. And if we're not careful, we'll allow them to keep a gap between us and other individuals. This morning, Lord, I pray that we would be real. That we would admit we're wrong. That our belief in you would be as stronger as, as strong as ever. But also, Lord, that we confess you as our Lord, our Master, and our Savior. And that we would give you full authority in our lives. This morning, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, do what, do what only you can do in us. Wash us, Lord, from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we rise and as they get ready to sing, maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're struggling with the sermon. Join the crowd, I am too. It's okay to struggle. But I want, to ask you, I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. It's a question I've been asking this whole week. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? Could my thoughts be wrong? Could my opinions be wrong? Could my values be wrong? And then I want you to ask yourself this. If Jesus were to really search my heart, what would he be pulling out? This morning, if that's you, you have an opportunity to respond, whether it's in your pew, at the altar, or even online. But it's up to you. This morning, maybe you realize, hey, I've been trying to do all the right things for too long. Here's your invitation. You can't do it. You can't do it. Even if you could do it, you wouldn't do it. Because this body will always pull you in a direction that will pull you away from God. That's why Christ died for us. To take the punishment that we were due, what was owed to us. And he died on the cross. And if we will believe 
that he did that for us. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. If we truly believe that, that's where our salvation begins. This morning, do you need that salvation? If so, as they sing, come talk to me. Talk to Brian. Talk to Ricky Rich in the back. Regardless, talk to somebody before you leave this place. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Tommy?